let me jump right in by saying, stating the truth that I want us to grasp tonight. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state it for you, and then I'm going to give you four examples. Here's the truth that I want us to take home with us tonight. God often works immediately, but our part very often requires a significant investment of time. Now, that's it. That's, that's what I want you to get tonight, but I want to give you some examples of that. The statement that I just made Probably you say, well, pastor, that's not very profound. And I never claimed that it was profound. But anyway, pastor, that's not anything that we all didn't already know. And that's probably true. But I want to make application in some areas of our lives because I'm afraid that far too often we, we think because we know God does act immediately, and he does in, in many cases, he doesn't always, but many of the things he promises to do immediately, we may make the mistake of thinking that we just have a light switch Christianity. That, oh, God acts immediately, so all i got to do is flip the switch. You know, I can, I can spend um, all week long living in sin and then just show up on Saturday morning, go out and visit, and I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit just because I asked God to. Now, I think we know in that scenario there, I think we know, no, you shouldn't expect that. But wait a minute. If God promises to answer our prayer and he promises to fill us with the Holy Spirit, why wouldn't that be true? And the reason it wouldn't be true is the statement that I just made. God does often work immediately and many times promises to work immediately. But our part often requires a significant investment of our time. Not because God says, all right, before I can answer that, you got to give me an hour. Not, that's not it. God answers immediately when we arrive where we're supposed to be. Sometimes it takes a, a while before God before we do arrive where we're supposed to be. And that's really the point tonight. But let me give you, let me give you some examples maybe to help you understand better. First of all, in our text, James chapter 4, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. I think that's our first example. God draws nigh to us immediately, but it often takes time for us to draw nigh to him. And let me show you the the proof of that right in the text. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Now what I think what's being given there is an explanation of how to draw nigh to God. And everything you read there takes time. None of those things is the flip of a switch. It takes time in God's presence. It takes time in God's presence, and this bleeds over into another point but that we're going to get to in a minute. But it takes time to cleanse your hands. If you've been involved in sin... And you want to come clean before God. Now, forgiveness instantly, and that's point number two, but let's stay on point one for now. God will forgive you instantly. 
But it takes time to get those hands clean. And the more time time you've spent in sin, the more time it takes to get those hands clean. Forgiveness, instant. But cleansing, how many times have you committed a sin? I'm on point number two already, and I don't want to be, but this is the example James gives, so let's go with it. How many times have you realized, oh, man, I messed up? And you go to God because you heard the preacher say, hey, God will forgive you on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ. So you go to God on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ and you say, God, I'm sorry. I lost my temper. I cursed and swore and yelled and screamed and made a fool out of myself. And on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ, I, I, I want to ask your forgiveness. Please forgive me. Does God forgive you? Yes. Now, if you have reparations to be made, you've got to go to somebody who was there and you say, you know what, I messed up and I, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Um, but between you and God, if there's nothing else that needs to be cared for like that, forgiveness takes place immediately. But does that mean your temper's gone? Does that mean if you did curse and swear, does that mean that all of a sudden your vocabulary's cleaned up? You know it doesn't. And so you go, oh, wait a minute. I know God promised to forgive me, but I'll be honest with you, I don't feel forgiven because I know that if I, if something went wrong right now, I'd lose my temper and curse and swear again. So I don't feel like anything has changed. And that's why when it says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, it's talking about when you have sinned, you can get forgiveness immediately, but it takes time to get cleaned up. That's point number two. Let's get back to point number one. That is an illustration of what it takes to draw nigh to God. Let me put it this way. You can only draw nigh to God to the extent that you have cleaned your hands. And cleaning your hands takes time. Let's let's keep going on this list of examples here. Purify your hearts. Now, if you have a wicked heart, you can get it right right away and you can draw nigh to God, but you can only draw nigh to God to the extent that your heart is purified. So if your heart is 2% purified, you can draw nigh to God 2%. He'll draw nigh to you 2%. If you want to get your heart purity level to 100%, that's going to take some time. Do you understand that if you spend 72 hours straight watching HBO, and God will help you if you do, but if you spend 72 hours straight watching HBO, you're not just going to turn the TV off and go to God, get forgiveness, and, and your heart's going to be purified. No, you, you're going to have a lot of words that you're... And, and by the way, I hope... Let me just say, I don't know who has what, so I can free to say this without... I hope you don't have HBO coming into your house. Uh, that You know, cable's one thing, and my cable company took the Yankees off, so we may be getting rid of that. I just, I mean, that was the reason we got in the first place, you know, back when I was on the couch with my foot. But, um, you know, it's, it's bad enough with, with uh, you know, television in general, but HBO and, and uh, Showtime, and that, that's, that's just absolute garbage. Un filtered garbage coming into your house 
and I don't know who has what. I'm just saying, I hope, I hope you don't have it, but I'm just using an extreme example here. You spend 72 hours straight watching filth, and then you think you're just going to shut it off and go to God, and your heart's going to be purified? No, it's not. No, it's, it's, you spend enough time dirtying your mind and your heart, it's going to take some time to clean that out. Okay? Uh, let's keep going on the list here. I'm, I'm way bleeding into point number two, but so point number two is going to go real fast, I think. But cleanse your hands, ye sinners, purify your hearts, be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Now, I believe all this is a, is a description of what it takes to draw nigh to God. Now, do you see God drawing nigh to you? Bang! That happens like that when you draw nigh to him. But you also see drawing nigh to God takes a significant investment of our time. I guess the point that I'm ultimately driving at tonight is you don't have a microwave Christianity. You know, there's something in me, I don't know what it is, that like if I have to boil water, I still got to put it on the stove. You know what I mean? I just don't. It's like I know that it's still boiled water in the microwave, but I don't, I'm not going to boil water in the microwave. I'm going to take that pot or tea kettle or whatever. I'm going to put that on the stove. And I want to hear that whistle blow. You know what I'm saying? I want to hear that, that, that the teapot go, ooh, that's, it's time for oatmeal now, you know? And, um, But we're, we're used to everything now. You just stick it in the microwave. And to me, 30 seconds does everything. Anything that you can't cook in 30 seconds is not worth eating. But anyway. Um, but no, you, you stick it in the microwave. You know, I even, let, let's just go ahead and get it all out there. Um, I, 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 as much as I'm not a huge microwave fan, I microwave. Are you ready for this? I microwave ice cream. Why? Because I want it just the tiniest bit mushy. Now, I don't want soup. I don't want ice cream soup, but, but if I take it out of the freezer, I'm going to put it in the microwave for about 15 seconds. Why? Because it's just a little bit mushy. Then. Aren't you glad I shared that with you? And, um, but here's, here's where I got off on that tangent. We don't have a microwave Christianity. Yes, God does work quickly, and in many cases, bang, immediately. But in many cases, at the same time, there is something for us to do that takes time. So draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you quickly. But to draw nigh to God, there there's some obstacles to be overcome. You've got to overcome. Do you really think that you can draw nigh to God? You hit your knees and your, your mind is still on getting back at that guy that made you mad at work today. Your mind is still on, oh, I hate that guy, but, I'm, but, but Lord, I pray that you did bless me. Do you really think you can, you can hit your knees and, and you've still got going through your head some worldly tune that was playing and it's going to, and it, listen, it may not have even been your fault. I'm saying it may not have been music that you were listening to. But you were in the mall. I, I can't believe how songs that, you know, I, 
Where were we? Where were we? We were. Um, Amy and I were somewhere together this week, and uh, Amy said, I, I, I bet you don't know who sings that. And I don't know how you know, but anyway. And I said, um, I said you're not going to believe this, but I know, I know who sings that song. She said, no, you don't. And I said, Taylor Swift. Now, how do I, how do I, and there was a reason I knew that. There was a story behind it, and I can't remember what, it went back to something where I was in a store somewhere, and, and there was a phrase that kept coming over and over again. I know what it was. It was in the card section. I was looking for a Hallmark card, and it was one of them singing cards. And, uh, and, and for whatever reason, and, and uh, that, that phrase, I heard it, and I heard it this week, and that's why I, and I think I said to you, I, you're not going to believe this, but I know who this is singing. Um, now, you hear that stuff all the time. You know, I, I hate it that I can walk away from the gas pump and I don't even know it, and, and, and I can't think of the dude's name from Canada with the Ferrari and the heroin. Um, uh, Justin Bieber, yeah. Um, and, and, and Justin Bieber's got a song in my head, and I, don't, I, I didn't ask for it. I don't want any part of it. I don't know how it got there. Now, look, that song can get in your head, and you go to prayer, and it may not be your fault that that song got there, but it's there. And let me tell you, I'm not getting through to God until I can get that out of my head. And I think that's all apart. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Be afflicted. Mourn. Weep. Look, it takes a while to come to the place where you're mourning and weeping over the condition of your heart over the condition of the lost world, over somebody's burden. It takes a while to get there, especially if you haven't been living there over the last few hours. I'm saying it takes a while. It takes an investment of time before you have really drawn nigh to God. But here's the thing. When you get there, bang, he draws nigh to you. It's like, you spend 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 40 minutes or maybe an hour. Oh, God, please. God, God, help me to think like you think. Oh, God, please get, get, uh, get this nonsense out of my heart and help me, Lord, please, to stay close to you. And you stay there. So you may stay there an hour before all of a sudden heaven opens up. And all of a sudden you know that you are in direct communication with God. And yes, God just drew nigh to you instantly, but it took an hour for you to draw nigh to him. Now, you say, Pastor, I'm not sure that that's what that's saying. Well, I'm quite certain that's what it's saying, but I'm telling you by experience. It takes an investment of time. Let me give you another example. I've already given you this one, but let's turn over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1 and verse number 9, and most of you probably don't even need to turn here. You know this by memory. When I said First John 1 and told you what I had alluded to in the first point, you probably knew I was going here anyway. But let's read it anyway. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, 
God, this is point number two, forgives immediately. Immediately when? The moment that we come to him and claim the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, let me be clear on this one. In point number one, I was saying that it takes an investment of time before God draws nigh to you. Now, this uh, is not the same. On point number two, I'm saying God forgives immediately. When you confess your sins and say, hey, on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm, now you got to be genuinely sorry. It's not just a, uh, okay, there I'm done. Now I can confess it and get forgiven. Oh, no, uh-uh. You've, you've got to genuinely know, man, I did wrong. And you may have messed up on the same sin for the 1,000th time. Or the standard that Jesus told Peter was 70 times 7, which is 490. Uh, you, you may have, have uh, messed up on the same sin so many times, but you can genuinely, I mean genuinely, God, I can't believe I'm so weak and I'm so wicked and I'm so tired of failing. God, please forgive me. On the basis of Jesus died for my sins, on the basis of the blood of Christ, I confess to you my wickedness. Please forgive me. On the basis of the blood of Christ, he will forgive you immediately every time. So, Pastor, where's I hear you know, there's a but coming. Okay, here it is. But genuine change requires repentance. And repentance takes time. And let me show you that. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. Repentance takes time. Now, repentance is a tricky concept. Here's what we know repentance doesn't mean. Repentance doesn't mean that you stop sinning. How do we know that it means that? Because none of us can just decide to stop sinning. We don't have it in our own power to stop sinning. Of all of the definitions of repentance that I've ever heard, one of my favorite I read recently from a preacher, a Baptist preacher of over 100 years ago, or about 100 years ago actually, a man named A.C. Dixon. And he gave several definitions of repentance right in a row, but here was the one that stuck out with me. Repentance is taking God's side against sin. When you can come to the place where you're standing side by side with God, looking at your sin and deploring it, and, and as is said of Job, he eschewed evil, meaning he, he hated it. Our problem with our sin is that we really do like it. But we don't want to admit to God that we like it. Can I tell you, God already knows that we like it. So to repent means that I take God's side against my sin. In other words, I can come to the place where whatever, my, whatever the sin is or the sins are that I struggle with, greed, lust, hatred, bitterness, laziness. I think the king of all sins, prayerlessness, for a Christian, prayerlessness, um, John R. I said all of our failures are prayer failures. In other words, if you were praying right, you'd conquer everything else. I think, uh, I just personally, prayerlessness 
tops the list of confession for me practically every time I confess my sins to God. Why? Because I knew if I was, if I was praying as I ought to, and not just a matter of time, but a matter of passion. Praying with my whole heart. Praying, as James says, fervently. I know if I was praying as I ought to, I wouldn't struggle with these other things. But it takes an investment of time to stay there with God until I genuinely deplore my sin. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 9. Now, I want you to understand, if you had time to read the context, and you can examine this for yourself, he's not ta- even though he uses the word salvation here, he's not talking about getting saved. He's talking about be- the Christian being rescued from the sin in his life and, and that sense of salvation. Be very careful as you look at the word salvation in the Bible that you don't automatically assign to it the meaning of becoming born again. Because there's more to that word than just the moment that you're born again. So with that in mind, look at verses 9 and 10. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. And again, I remind you, the salvation, if you read the whole context, he's talking about the church in, in Corinth, going back to the sins listed in 1 Corinthians, the, the, the church of Corinth, their tolerance of sin amongst themselves. They were already saved, but they were tolerating sin. But through a process of repentance, they were saved from the presence of sin in their church. And that's the context here. Paul's not preaching being born again here. He's preaching being saved from the sin in your life and in your church. So godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. And I want you to focus on that statement. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. And I think you'd have to really be ignorant of Scripture to not understand that godly sorrow that worketh salvation, worketh repentance unto salvation, takes time. Now, why did I make such a strong distinction there about it's, it's not talking about getting saved because I don't ever want to entertain the possibility that you can't get saved right now. I don't ever want to promote this idea that, all right, I'm going to give you scripture today and you can get convicted of your sin and have time to come to repentance and then come back and see me tomorrow and maybe tomorrow you'll be ready to get saved. Now, you may not be ready to get saved right now, but I want you to know, as the Bible says, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. I don't ever see evidence in the Bible of go away and come back tomorrow. Now, Jesus sent the rich young ruler away. Yes, he did. But Jesus didn't say, go away and come back. That young man decided to go away, and we don't know if he ever did come back. 
But the message of the Bible is, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. So for that reason, I make the distinction here that this is not talking about, oh, you need some time to to have some godly sorrow unto repentance so that you'll be ready to get saved. I do not believe that's at all what the Bible teaches. But do you not want to see your sin the way God sees it? And if we're honest, I think sometimes we'd say, well, yes and no. And it's good that you're honest like that. If you at least want to come to the place where you see your sin as God sees it, then you're ready to confess it and be forgiven. But you're not ready to change yet until you are ready to invest some time before God on your knees. God, and when I say time, I mean maybe hours. God, help me to see my sin like you see it. Because I got to be honest with you, Lord, I think I'm in pretty good shape. One way to know that you're not in good shape spiritually is when you think you are in pretty good shape because none of us is in pretty good shape. Lord, I know you forgave me. And and I mean, have we not all done this, by the way, also? Lord, I know I confessed it and I know you forgave me, but Lord, forgive me, please. I just, we don't feel forgiven. You got to take God at his word. Lord, on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm trusting your forgiveness, but Lord, I still feel a strong affection for my sin. Lord, I love the world too much. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, these things are way too important to me. Lord, I enjoy these things too much. And I need your help to help me to not enjoy this anymore. Help me, Lord, please. God, please. Now, it may take some time with you and God for you to lose your affection to things that are keeping you from God. Do you know there are things that are not inherently harmful at all that can keep you from God, and you need to lose your affection for them? Now, if you've been saved for two months, the things that keep you from God are probably a lot different than the things that would keep me from God. But whatever it is, the Holy Spirit will show you, hey, that needs to go. Because you know good and well when you come before me and you beg to be filled with the Holy Ghost, you know that that thing is standing in the way. And, and there we come back. And I hope you're following me because I feel like I may sound like I'm rambling a little bit, but it, it's all together in my mind. Uh, but you come before God and you say, God, oh, God, I want you to use me. I want you to bless me. I want to I win some souls. Lord, help me to be holy. Please help me to live a holy life so that the Holy Spirit can fill me and I can be used of God. And something comes to mind. And every time you get to that place, that same thing comes to mind. And you say, man, but Lord, it's not really a sinful thing. 
but Lord, it's not really a sinful thing. And man, I need to I need to see it like God sees it. It's a hindrance. I remember Brother Hiles saying when I was in college that he had to come to the place where he told God he would never sit and watch a ball game start to finish again. And I thought, are you out of your mind? (laughs) That's not sinful. And I can't honestly say I've never, and I I don't get to watch a ball game. I don't remember last time I watched a ball game start to finish, but I've never made that decision. It's just, you know anything that you can give two or three hours to you most of us don't have time for anyway but I'm simply saying I know even though I've never made that decision I now know what brother house was talking about because if you're really going to go to God and say oh God I'm just consumed with being filled with your Holy Ghost really when you watched you know a, a two and a half hour ball game how consumed with you with being filled with the Holy Ghost when you just finished watching that game? And I'm not getting on sports or, I mean, I get on politics. I get, I'm, not, I'm not going after anything or anybody. I guess I'm really picking on the things that, that would be my temptation anyway. But, but I'm saying to you, there are so many things that cloud our minds. When, when Dr. Williams was here the last time, um, God really moved in my heart about some things that I just care about way too much. And I had this conversation with him, you know, have you ever met a greater man or uh, man of prayer than Dr. Williams is? And so I said to him, I said, be honest with you, Dr. Williams, I just, there's some things, they're not bad, they're not sinful, I just care about them way too much. And he said, I, I know exactly where you are. He said, because I've been there. And he actually told, told, he said, when I was your age, and he told me something not sinful, just I couldn't believe that it meant that much to him. Actually made me feel pretty good about myself, to be frank with you. But um, he said, yeah, I, I spent uh, uh, time every day engaged in, in this hobby when I was your age. And I'm like, wow. He knows what I'm talking about. I'm saying to you, can you really tell me that as you strive to get close to God that there is nothing that God says, yeah, yeah, you care too much about that. It may not even be the amount of time. It's how much we care so that we're going before God saying, oh, God, please. Oh, God, use me, please, for thy glory. And meanwhile, we're thinking in the, in a, in our, in the back of our heads, um, you know, how many delegates does uh, Cruz have? How many delegates does? You know, the truth is, if I'm on my knees and that's where my mind drifts, I care too much about it. And there's all kinds of things, innocent things, even, I mean, that's a good thing. Hey, that's our country, that's our future. Yeah, but not during prayer time. I'm saying repentance takes time. Here, let me, let me try to make a more practical connection, and I want to wind this down. I want to keep you here all night. But You can confess something in the afternoon where you failed, and yes, you're forgiven, but you may still have to get up in the middle of that night to let God teach you how to abhor that thing. Because if you don't, you're just going to go right back to it tomorrow or the next day. 
I'm saying forgiveness is instant, but repentance takes an investment of your time. Let me give you two more examples, and we'll wrap it up quickly. I guess it's too late to wrap it up quickly, but I'll do my best. Number three, God often answers prayer immediately, but supplication takes an investment of our time. Turn over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse number 7. Awesome prayer promise. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Ask what ye will and it shall be done. That's instant. That is instant. But abide in me and my words abide in you. That takes a while. You understand, ask what ye will. That is almost word for word the promise, the offer that God made to Solomon. You check it out. It's almost word for word the offer he made to Solomon. But why does he put these conditions on the promise when he makes it to us? Because Solomon had already met those conditions. And Solomon was already a grown man. 30 years old, I believe he was, when God said to him. And so Solomon had already invested a significant amount of time in drawing nigh to God, abiding in God, and his word abiding in him, when God finally came to him and made the offer, ask what I shall give thee. And I say to you, if you want to get to the place where God will instantly ask, who, which one of us does not want to get to the place where God instantly answers our prayers? He will do that. But it requires an investment of your time and effort because it takes time and effort to abide in him, and have his word abiding in us. Last one. And you don't have to turn here because you know the example. Acts chapter 2. God fills us with his spirit quickly. But emptying ourselves takes an investment of time. The day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, they were baptized with the Holy Ghost. And by the way, the church of Jesus Christ needs to be baptized with the Holy Ghost again and again. Filling of the Spirit. I believe there's a distinction between the two. This is my opinion on baptism with the Holy Ghost. And i got to watch how I use my hands. I feel like John Kasich when I do too much of this. But anyway, um, I believe spirit fullness can take place every day and ought to take place every day for us. I believe the baptism of the Holy Ghost is uh, something that happens on a, on a man or a group of people or a church for a specific purpose. And I believe we need to pray for God's baptism upon You look at the, in the book of Acts, there is a baptism that takes place for a mission. And I believe we need that. That's just my, my opinion on the distinction between baptism and fullness. Really, it may be a distinction without a difference because here's the thing. If we're spirit-filled, it's going to show in our lives. Spiritfulness happens immediately. But how many days had they been together praying? Ten days. How, may, how long had Jesus been preparing them for this day? Three years. I'm saying being filled with the Spirit, which every Christian ought to hunger for, being filled with the Spirit happens immediately, instantly. But being emptied. Emptied of self, emptied of sin. That takes time. It takes time to be emptied. And as with every other example here, and as with the uh, the the example I gave during the announcements, the only place you're going to get emptied 
is alone in the quiet and when possible on your knees on your knees listen it is true that you don't have to be on your knees to pray but there's there's a certain yielding to god that mandates that we get on our knees once in a while. Say, you know, and we're always looking for the exception. Well, what about the guy in the wheelchair? Did, okay, you know, I think, yeah, God probably make an exception for him. But if you're not in a wheelchair, don't use that excuse. It is a chore to get on your knees. And I don't mean physically. I mean, yeah, you can drive and pray and you can, hey, isn't it great to lay down at night? Yeah, I'm just going to pray as I fall asleep. Oh, how convenient. And how many times does the Spirit of God say, Hey, Joe, you ain't been on your knees at all today. You've, you've spent time in prayer. You've given me, but you haven't been on your knees today at all. And I said, Lord, but I can pray right here. And God says, Yeah, you can pray right there. But there's something about hitting them knees, folks. There's something about hitting them knees and, and boy, I'll just kind of, you know what I have, I've gone through a prayer list. I've asked God to do a hundred things today. I've, I've named hundreds of names before him, but I never actually made the time to get on mine. You say, pastor, you do that. Yeah, that, that happens to me. And I pillow my head and God reminds me, you ain't hit your knees today, Joe. Yeah, Lord, I'm tired. Yeah, but you haven't hit your knees yet today. There's something about getting on your knees that just lets God know you're serious about it. And you get on your knees and you know, you're cold and, Lord, this isn't, this isn't comfortable. And, you know, this, this uh, whatever, this floor hurts my knees. And, you know, and, and uh, my bed is too high and it's not comfortable. My hands are up here. And what, all the excuses why it's not convenient for you to pray and me to pray. But something about it, you get there and God just says now, it's good to be here together. And you say, you know what? It is. I'm glad I got out of the bed. I'm glad. I'm glad it's freezing cold and I'm here. I'm, I, I'm, I mean it. I'm glad. Because now we're doing business with God. And now God knows that I have at least the tiniest little bit of submission in my heart. I'm saying God fills us with this spirit quickly, but emptying ourselves. Emptying yourself is one of the great challenges of your whole Christian life. It has to happen again and again and again. So I say to you tonight, yes, God often works quick, quickly. And he, he often promises to work immediately. But there is an investment of time that is required of you and of me. And the more time we invest, it's not about putting your time in. Okay, there we go. I got my hour in. Now, God, you got to work. It's not about that. It's about it takes time to dig the sludge out of your heart. It takes time to clear the soot away. It takes time to bail the boat out. Whatever analogy you want to use, it takes time to get out all of the junk that we have let seep in. It takes time to empty it out before God. And when we get it empty, God, bang, comes in and says, there, you're ready. You're blessable now. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand.